Well, good morning, Cross Point. If we haven't met before, uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors, and I'd love to meet you afterwards if this is your first time with us. Uh, one thing, one conviction that we have as a church family uh, is that we believe the Word of God is the Word of God. We believe the Bible is uh, true and relevant and sufficient and uh, true for our lives. It's our authority. It's our foundation. And so every Sunday morning, one thing we love to do is to be able to preach and teach from the Bible, open up our Bibles on our laps or on our apps, and to be able to be changed by the Word of God. And so I look forward to doing that with you uh, this morning. One thing we also look forward to is, uh, is summer VBS coming up on between June 10th and the 14th that week. Watch this video. Becky Williamson here, excited to tell you about Vacation Bible School. VBS is that fun week in the summer when kids come, they go outside and play games and run around and get sweaty hot. They come back inside to get relief in the air conditioning that feels so good. We drag out all the fans we can find, keep the air moving so nobody gets too hot during Bible story. We've got ice cold bottled water and sometimes even water balloons. Yes, VBS is actually a little more than six weeks from now, believe it or not, and there are gonna be many ways for you to get involved if you haven't already. The first one of them happens this week. VBS work night is Thursday evening at 6 p.m. Invite a friend and I'll see you there. We spent half of last week's offering on that video, okay? <laughs> so thank you for your generosity. We were able to produce that. Becky was able to produce that with uh, just flawless perfection, all right? So uh, this Thursday night, an opportunity to be able to serve alongside one another and serve and prepare for uh, good warm weather and a good opportunity for us to be on mission this summer with the next generation. If you have a Bible, which I hope you do, get to uh, Romans 8. Uh, we are in an eight-week series called... Once but now, we're a few weeks into that. Last week, we looked at the subject of adoption and orphan care, and uh, a couple things we did in that service was we highlighted two organizations, Safe Families and Life Song for Orphans, two organizations that are uh, making a kingdom impact in the area of adoption and orphan care, areas that we can join them in that mission. And so there are information in the back on both those organizations. Uh, I would encourage you, if you missed last week, to listen online. I believe as a church we are growing up into uh, God's call that we would be a church to uh, defend the fatherless and to show hospitality to the stranger, that our love would not just be words, but our love would also be full of action and in truth, all right? Uh, our First Impressions team is going to be handing out the connection card booklets as well. If you are a guest, fill out that gray section. If there's a next step for you, uh, make sure you mark that and uh, we'll follow up, follow up with you this week. So today we're in Romans 8. This is a key chapter in the New Testament, a foundational chapter for us to look at. Next week we're in Romans 12, which is again another foundational chapter for us to look at and to grow up into. So let me ask us a question as we get started. What are the benefits of being a Christ follower? What are the benefits? We talk about being, we talk about the cost of being a Christ follower and we should. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 24. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. There's a cost to that. 
We should talk about the cost of being a true follower of Christ and what that looks like in daily life. If we don't, we're neglecting a true picture of biblical Christianity. So I'm not talking about ignoring the cost, but what are the benefits? If you got a new job recently, or maybe back in January at the start of a new calendar year, your employer came to you and said, here's our benefit package. Here's the benefit package that include uh, insurances and disability and PTO and sick days and vacation and all these kinds of things. And they said, for you being an employee of this company, here's our benefit package to you. There's a lot here in Romans 8. All sorts of different directions we could go. But I want to frame up this chapter with this question. What are the benefits of being a Christ follower? If you're not a Christian today, one of my hopes is that you'd get to the end of this message and go, why have I not given my life to Christ yet? Why am I still holding out on this? And if you are a Christ follower, I pray that you would be overwhelmingly encouraged, both for your heart, your soul, and your way of life in Christ. Encouragement to press on with great joy the race that is before us, whether it's this week or this coming year. The message title from the Gospel Project, which we're aligned with now, the next six weeks in this series, we're aligned with the study guides. But the, t- the title from the Gospel Project is Once Slaves But Now Children. And when you think of slaves, they lack any benefits. When the Israelites were chained up in slavery to the Egyptians, they lacked any benefit. But a child, a child has benefits. If you're a student in here today, you you are receiving benefit and benefits from being a child of your parents or parents. And to an even greater degree of an entirely different echelon, when you're a child of the one true Father in heaven, you have all the benefits. You lack nothing because our Father in heaven is good and perfect and a good and perfect Father to His children. And so as we look at, the, look at these benefits, there's seven of them, there's overlap in them, and then one overarching, all-encompassing benefit at the end. But as we look at these seven, we'll look at them in the context of that once-but-now statement. We're going to read our way through this entire chapter. All right, so here, let's look at the benefit package. Verse 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So benefit number one, once there was condemnation, but now there is no condemnation. Because Jesus bore the weight of that condemnation on the cross. Jesus in my place, that's the gospel. Jesus as our substitute, that's the good news. Jesus was treated as a sinner on that cross so that we could be treated as righteous. Jesus' blood covered our guilt and shame for sin. So now for the person who is in Christ, we no longer have to walk around covered in guilt and shame. We no longer have to walk around for how we've fallen or how we've been rebellious in the past because there is no condemnation. The Father does not condemn the Son, Jesus, so neither does the Father condemn those whose faith is in the Son, Jesus. They're not condemned. They won't be condemned 
we're joined by grace and through faith to Him. So you can't acquit the head and condemn the hand. We're hidden in Him. Our trust is in Jesus who bore our condemnation on the cross and then overcame death on the third day, was victorious over it. In Christ Jesus is the phrase that Paul uses in verse 1. Think of the Old Testament, that final plague before Pharaoh releases the Israelites. Death and judgment passed over the homes and it passed over the homes that were covered, that had their door frames, their door posts covered by the blood of a lamb. They were hidden under that blood. When you're in Christ, you're hidden in Him. You've escaped condemnation. So the reality for those of you who have not placed your faith in Jesus yet, you're not not only not in Christ, but condemnation is still toward you. You're still condemned. The penalty, the shame, the guilt of your sin is still on you. But for the Christ follower, the benefit is, all because of Jesus, that there is no condemnation now. The verdict here is not less condemnation. It is no condemnation. Our standing with God has not so-called, quote-unquote, improved. It's drastically and radically and completely changed. Once condemned, but now no condemnation. Once guilty, but now innocent. So now we forget what is behind and we strain toward what is ahead, the race that is before us. Verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Benefit number two, once you lived according to the flesh, but now you live according to the Spirit. Meaning, once sin had power over you, but now sin has no power, no authority over your life. And that is a massive benefit that we forget all too often, especially in the face of steep temptation. For the believer, our thoughts and desires have and they are changing. What we think about, what we desire, it's different than they were before. The roots of our lives are changing, which leads to changing fruit on the outside. It's of of no benefit. If to be a Christian, it would just mean to try in our own strength to change stuff on the outside of our lives. The benefit here that the Lord has given to us is his spirit, which produces that fruit in us. He's, he's changed the root, which, changed the, which changes the fruit. This, this contrast between flesh and spirit, he talks about here a lot in Romans 8, but he also talks about it in Galatians 5, which if you have, if you have a Bible, go to Galatians 5. Now it's to your right in your Bible, just a little ways. But I want to read uh, chapter 5, several verses here, starting in verse uh, 16. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then Paul gives examples of what it looks like to be led by the flesh versus 
led by the Spirit. First, led by the flesh, verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then in contrast, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its desires, with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We should be seeing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives because the roots have and are changing. Because the Spirit is doing the work and we joyfully welcome that work in our lives. And so our flesh and our desires that are contrary to the Spirit, they no longer sit on the throne of our lives. They no longer have this place of authority in our lives. Is there an area of the flesh that feels like it has this place of authority in your life right now? Feels like it's kind of reigning and ruling? Be reminded, Christ follower. The benefit is now the Spirit rules over the flesh. Do we still have remaining sin in us? Yes, we will this side of heaven. But will we accept that as our guide, as our leader, as the driver of our lives? No, we reject that. Because now the Spirit drives us. Now the Spirit leads us. The Spirit guides us. We've been crucified with Christ. It's now no longer I or you who live, but it's He who lives in us. And we can flee temptation, we can reject it because our minds are set on a different focus. And the biggest way that we can help our minds set and seek a different focus is that our minds would consume the Word of God. Our minds would eat from the Word of God on a consistent basis. Like this week, maybe it's Galatians 2.20, and you just kind of roll that verse in your head and heart as the day. You meditate on that verse throughout the day. You just allow that verse to sit on your heart and sit on your mind because as it does, it changes what you're seeking and what you're setting your mind on. Verse 9 then, Paul continuing this theme of flesh versus spirit. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die, but if By the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Benefit number three, similar to the last one. Once you didn't have the Spirit, but now the Spirit of God lives in you. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. So again, if you're in Christ, you're not captive to the tomb of sin anymore. We're not captive to our flesh and its desires. We're not stuck down in the muck and mire of life. 
but positionally, the Lord has set our feet on a rock. We've been lifted up out of the muck and mire. Now we're firm, secure, stable. We live in the Spirit now versus the flesh. When's the last time the flesh has ever done anything good for us? Anything past like five minutes or anything past that night, momentary pleasure, anything past that. Greed leads to debt, right? Enslavement. Pride, what doesn't it lead to? Broken relationships. Lust leads to broken relationships and hurt. Addiction just leads to more addiction. You trade one addiction for another. The flesh leads to death. The benefit of the Christ follower is we don't have to live that way anymore. You've been set free. You don't have to oblige sin. Oh, yeah, well, come on. Just, oh, go, no, you first. Well, we don't have to do that. We don't have to coddle it. We don't have to treat it as if we'll always fall to it. I was talking to a friend a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about the once but now stories, and he was saying that, saying that well, his story would probably be once a rebel but now a follower. And I love that, hearing this story. But have you noticed the whole once but now, that contrast, the once kind of sits with you? It's not like, oh, I'm never going to be a rebel again. Like for me, my once but now, one of them is uh, once I tried to a- attain or achieve or earn God's affection or think it was out- about outward behavior and that the more I got that right, the more God would love me. Well, that sticks with me even after being a Christ follower. I have to repent of that continually and remind myself of the gospel, remind myself of, 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 of my identity in Christ. But for, the, for this uh, guy who was sharing about once a rebel but now a follower, what was so encouraging to hear in his story is that the Spirit of God is giving him victory in that area. Not just at salvation, but as a way of life. And that is evidence that the Spirit of God is, is alive in him. That once he, didn't, once he didn't have the Spirit, but now he has the Spirit. And that Spirit is leading him to victory. Notice in verse 13 it says, by the Spirit. That phrase. By the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body. So we don't reject sin in our own strength. We do it in his and so then, when we get victory over it, you know what won't happen? We won't beat our chest saying we're awesome. We'll grow in humility and gratitude and worship and, oh, there's the Spirit of God doing that in me. Praise God. Or when we fall to it, we won't go, man, I just stink at this. No, it'll lead us to prayer, which will say, okay, Holy Spirit, help me to be obedient. Help me to uh, listen to your voice and let that be the loudest thing in my life. It's by the Spirit. Christ follower, you've been enabled and empowered with the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and that is a massive benefit. Verse 14. For all those led by, the, led by God's Spirit are God's sons. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children and if children also heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. Once you were a slave to fear and sin, but now you're a son or daughter of a king. You've been adopted. 
We did have a guilty verdict rightly attached to us because we had committed sin against God. We rightly deserved eternal punishment for our sin against a God who is infinitely just and holy and good. But God changed our legal status with him. He made us not guilty. He justified us. He removed condemnation. And at the same time, he adopted us. Listen to this from a commentary giving us perspective on adoption. Under Roman adoption, the life and standing of the adopted child changed completely. The adopted son lost all rights in his old family and gained all new rights in his new family. The old life of the adopted son was completely wiped out, with all debts being canceled, with nothing from his past counting against him any more. That's exactly what happened in our heavenly adoption, right? Debts canceled, past not counting against us in the same breath. It's not just a legal standing that we have. This objective ruling, like a courtroom, it's also an inward emotional relationship. The spirit of adoption cries out, Abba, Father. Ever heard a child cry out at night? Worried, terrified. I'm not talking about, um, can I have another drink of water? I'm not I'm talking about that. Dad, I'm terrified. Dad, I'm scared. Papa, I'm nervous. Papa, you're amazing. This is that Abba, Father cry within us that can cry out to our Father in heaven because it's not just a legal relationship, there's a love relationship. There's an intimacy, there's a warmth. So no longer a slave toward a wicked master of sin and fear, but now a son or daughter of our Father in heaven. What a benefit. Listen to what Paul writes in Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm, then, stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Because that was the once, not the now. Paul's referring here not just to freedom, freedom from sin, but freedom from the law. Meaning this false idea that you could earn a right standing with God and be justified through your behavior. The Galatians thought they could begin by the Spirit and receive grace, but then after that, it was on them. That they grew in Christ-likeness and remained saved through their own work and through their willpower to somehow grow in Christ-likeness. And Paul's saying you were saved and you are being saved by the Spirit of God. So what an adoptive parent never says to their new child who was once an orphan, they never say, okay, we've adopted you now. We've gone to the courthouse. We've gotten the legal standing. Now, listen, it's on you. You screw up, you're out. They never say that. Because there's a love relationship there and a legal standing. So when Paul says, We've been given a spirit of adoption rather than slavery. He's saying, you're secure. And now you're set free to worship and serve your Father in heaven. For He is the one who adopted you. And He was so good to you to do it by grace and through faith and through His Son that you want to live for Him. You want to serve Him. When you've been adopted by grace alone, through faith alone, and through Christ alone, you feel secure. Your feet are on a rock. 
and you live in light of that spirit of adoption daily. Verse 17 again. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that, you may, so that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is coming or that is going to be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay with the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now, not only that, but we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. I love that last phrase. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Wait, wait, wait. I thought we were talking about a benefit package, right? Suffering? No, this was supposed to be benefit package. I was supposed to be like walking out awesome. And Here's the benefit. Once you suffered with no hope, but now when you're in Christ, even in suffering... We hope. Tim Keller said this, Paul's saying, if you know where you are heading in the future, you won't even entertain the idea that your current problems and pain aren't worth it. He's promised for us strength for trials, not escape from them. Paul's writing as a person who has experienced them, and yet as one who knows that God's grace is sufficient in the midst of them. The future eternal glory is far greater than any present and temporary suffering. The glory to come, the comfort, the joy, rest, fellowship, freedom. We can't even get our heads around not being plagued by sin at all. But being completely free of that is greater than any temporary trial that we walk through. As a pastor of a church, here's what I know there are those who call this church home who are suffering, walking through chemotherapy, grieving the loss of a loved one, physical bodies breaking down, unexplained sickness and pain. Look at verse 23 again. There's a day coming where you will experience the redemption of your body. There's a day coming where you will be reunited with those who you've lost who are in Christ. My encouragement is Paul's encouragement in verse 25 that we would not put our hope in circumstances. That we would not put our hope in what we see right in front of us. Because it changes too much. That we would put our hope in what we do not see. And yet what we eagerly wait for with patience. One commentary said this, We see in these verses that one day God is going to renovate and restore not only our souls and not only our physical bodies, but the entire cosmos. All will be put right. Eden will be restored. This globe will become what it was always meant to be. The benefit of the Christ followers, we can look forward to that day with hope 
and know that the one who saved us is also the one who created everything in Genesis 1 and 2 and who will make right everything that has gone wrong. And we can read the end of the story in Revelation 20 and 21 and the end of Revelation and go, yep, our God is faithful from beginning to end. And we can hope for what we do not see because we are people who walk by faith and not by sight. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the, of the Spirit because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Here's the next benefit. Once we were helpless, but now we have the Helper. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as our Helper in, in John 14. Once we did not have the Helper, but now for the Christ follower, we've been given the Spirit. And Paul talks about one big benefit that the Helper brings to our lives. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us. He prays for us. So when we don't know how to pray, He's praying for us. When we don't know what to ask for, He's praying for us. He prays for us in accordance to the will of God. So when we're unsure of what's ahead, the Spirit's praying for us. When we feel weak as an adopted child, the Spirit's praying for us. When you're in a trial and you're, you're unsure of how temporary that really is going to be, maybe it's going to be lifelong, the Spirit's praying for us. The Helper is helping you and bringing your name to your Father in heaven. John Piper wrote this, When you feel very weak, because of suffering or decay or sickness or futility or persecution or failed plans or baffling decisions, don't despair. As if God is angry with you or at your inability to know what to do or what to pray, at that very moment, experience the wordless groanings of your heart as groanings for the glory of Christ and trust the Spirit of God to intercede for you about the specifics. Trust Him that because He is praying for you, your Father will bring about decisions and circumstances that will magnify Christ in the best way. In the very midst of your ignorance and groaning. Be encouraged that the Lord is not waiting on your words to work. Even when you lack words to share, you don't know how to pray, He's praying. He's at work. And the Spirit is praying for you, not against you. You've been given the benefit of an adopted child. That standing doesn't change. And Paul will remind us that God is for us here in a couple verses. So the one who knows, us, knows all and is all-powerful is praying for you. That doesn't diminish the call in our lives to pray. It actually should invite us to pray further that we have a Spirit who's praying for us and a Father who hears us, inviting us to pray continually, crying out, Abba, Father, for all the various things in our lives. Verse 28, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. For those He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. 
Here's the benefit in this section. Once life's events seemed meaningless, pointless, and random. But now we know that all things work together for the good of the Christ follower. God is sovereign over all things. So nothing we walk through, even in a fallen world, nothing we walk through, the Lord is is looking at going, hmm, I'm not sure what to do with that one. Your Father in Heaven's never been perplexed. Never been, like, stumped. Been working on a house the past few months. I get stumped, like, hmm. He's never been like, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. Nothing is, he's over everything. He's not subject to any circumstance. I was talking to a friend this past week, and she was sharing about her and her husband's uh, struggle with infertility. And I was telling her how encouraging it was that she was willing to share that with others. And she told me, I I can't imagine not sharing it because now it gives this experience that I can relate to other people with and share how the Lord has worked in that experience. That doesn't remove the pain that her and her husband have walked through. But it also doesn't make that pain meaningless or pointless. It redeems that pain to bring bring her and her husband alongside others to encourage On the other side of the trials, what she was sharing is that she can see how the Lord has redeemed that and used that experience to encourage others and give God glory. That's a huge benefit to a Christ follower to know that our Father in heaven hasn't lost sight of us, that He's using all things for our good. He's using all things too, as verse 29 says, to conform us into the image of Christ. Think a lump of clay, potter's wheel, forming us into the image of Christ. And the more we're conformed to the image of Christ, the more fruit we will bear, the greater impact we will have on the kingdom, and the greater joy. Listen to me. The greater joy you will experience in this life. It's not just about impact. It's also about joy. Verse 30. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. That's the progression there of salvation. From before we were saved to when we are called and justified. Meaning made right before God all the way into eternity when we are fully glorified. Meaning resurrection bodies. The effects of fall, uh, the fall of man completely gone. Get up in the morning. Uh, you know, this is... This is my, my, my walk in the morning, like, eh, just working itself out, okay? Nothing that maybe a little ibuprofen milligrams might take care of. Gone. Bodies, resurrection bodies. Can't wait. And Paul is making clear here, God is the author of salvation from beginning to end. And that fact is a reminder that he's faithful to finish what he has begun. He wouldn't save us. And then dump us along the side of the road and say, now good luck with this. And if you make it to the end, I'll see you at the end. That's not a good father. The father says, I was predestined, glorified. Start to finish. It's a powerful benefit to say that as you walk through life, as a father, he's going to say, I'll be faithful to that. 
all, you, all you, that you will experience in this fallen world that, that is groaning, I will use for your good. Meaning, make you more like Christ. I don't know about you, but the more I'm conformed into the image of Christ, that's not only, not only a good thing for me, that's a good thing for my wife. That's a good thing for my kids. That's a good thing for you all. Amen? That's a good thing for this community. That's a good thing for the lost people around me. And that's a good thing for my own joy. When God is the author of salvation from start to finish, one result is we're secure. When the Israelites crossed over the, uh, the Red Sea, it parted, and they walked over on dry land. I don't know if it's the Charlton Heston movie or what, but I've always had this weird thought of when the Israelites crossed over, did they ever have this thought of like walls of water, seeing fish probably in the water going, I wonder if these are going to come crashing down on me at any point. Like I know we're kind of halfway across, but I, I wonder if it, it's going to work out all the way. They were secure. The land would remain dry. It wouldn't get muddy at the end. The enemy would not ensnare them. Pharaoh would not catch them. From start to finish, God was faithful. The same benefit is true for the Christian. Even when the water seems really high on the sides, he's going to be faithful to get you to the other side of that. And then, in a sense, this overarching, all-encompassing benefit at the end. This final word, verse 31. What then are we, are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare His own Son, but offered Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. How the chapter started. If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. If you're in Christ, God is for you. And when the highest judge in all the universe has declared you not guilty because of the Son taking on your guilt on that cross, that's the final word. Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. And if your faith and trust is, is in Him, that's the final word. So affliction, distress, suffering, danger, none of that is the final word. Our God is unchanging and His promises stand firm both presently and in eternity. If He has called you, He's adopted you. If He's done that, He's given you a spirit. There's no benefit that you're missing out on. There's nothing that you're lacking. If the worship team could come back up. Sooner or later, um, every believer might go through a season that you might wonder, is this worth it? Is it really worth it to follow Christ? Maybe you're there this morning. Or maybe you've been there in the past. Or maybe you will be in the future. Maybe it seems like the flesh is just winning in your life right now. Maybe you're in the midst of suffering or trial or loss, and in that moment you're tempted to doubt God's promises or His character or His nature or who He is, that He is a good Father to you. I pray that Romans 8 
again, is this overwhelming encouragement to your heart and your way of life in Christ. That now there's no condemnation. That now you live according to the Spirit rather than the flesh. That now you've been given the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead. That now you've been adopted. That now even in suffering we can hope that now you've been given the Spirit who is our helper interceding for you. That now in all things God is at work conforming us into the image of Christ that now, according to verse 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's stand and sing and worship a God who is that good to us. We're going to let Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 be our prayer as we close out. Start in verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and the width, height, and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Meet somebody new before you leave. If you need prayer, don't leave without us being able to pray for you. God bless. See you back next Sunday.